0: Adam twelve, Adam twelve. Cop Talk America is on the air. Copy. Put me ten six. I'm tuning into Cop Talk America.
1: Welcome to Cop Talk America, where police discuss the job, answer questions, and respond to law enforcement hot topics around our great nation. With over 100 years combined law enforcement experience, here's your hosts and special guest law enforcement
2: commentator Mark Nelson. Welcome to Cop Talk America. The show once again that hopes to bring the lives of officers on the streets of your communities into your home so that you can analyze along with them how best to serve and protect America. Today, we're going to be discussing five stresses that cops deal with that non-cops should know about. In other words, we're going to talk about the stressors that police officers have to deal with on a daily basis And those incidents that they have to not usually bring home to their families. And that's also perhaps one of the reasons why police officers have such an unusually high divorce rate. In fact, I have four officers in front of me. How many divorces, hold up your hand, and how many divorces have you had? Two.
0: Two.
2: Three.
3: Two. Four. Five. (laughs) Three.
2: <laughs> Six, seven, eight. We've got okay. a winner. Winner, that, winner, got got a okay.
3: winner. The, the, winner, the, winner,
2: chicken and, dinner. And we, okay, we, we are not going to tell you which one of the four that was, but needless to say, eight divorces among four police officers in about 100 years of, of, of public service. Now, what is the point? It means that police officers have to deal with stressors that you and I would not even dream of. And let me go through some of these before we begin. Every day, they start the day with a meeting in which it is a daily preparation for battle. The cop attitude for most of these police officers stays with them after they go home. They live their lives in a fishbowl. Some police officers I know personally move to communities very far away where they have their police work simply so they don't have to see anybody that they work with on a daily basis like the prostitutes the people that the drug people etc furthermore they have a front row seat to despair what does that mean it means that they listen to more confessions than catholic priests they listen to more sad tales than a first grade school teacher they in fact live their lives with having people vomit forth their worst things in their lives, and they ride on a daily basis what we call the incident roller coaster. That means that every day they go to work, they know they're going to be chasing squirrels, but some of the squirrels turn around and shoot guns at them or try and stab them with knives, machetes, or run over them with cars. So, let's
3: begin. The idea of the... uh... Daily preparation for battle. There's several areas where this really affects guys and gals that do this job. One of the big ones that's happening here recently is that the bosses of police departments don't even like to talk about the warrior mindset or a tactical mindset or any of that stuff. They want you to be uh, soft, cushy, go in, talk to people, resolve problems, And, and they know that's not the real world. But when they go into their political settings, that's the way they talk, and then slowly over time that I've watched police work, and that's been over 40 years now, you're seeing more and more of this, and we're starting to take the battle part out of that. the warrior mentality is going away. But then you turn around and you ask the officer who's getting dressed in front of his family, who they watch this and they see it every day, you're putting on your body armor, you put on a gun, you put on extra magazines. You've got something to fight with, a baton, uh, whatever else, an asp, something else. Then you carry a taser and all the rest of stuff. An asp. And,
2: what is an asp?
3: It's a collapsible metal baton. So you open it up with a snap of the wrist and it extends out. I think they're about 18, 24 inches. You can get different sizes. Thank you. And you go out and you do these things. Over time, we don't realize it, but the effect on your family. I remember once one of my children saying to me, do you ever think about when you put that vest on, you might not come home tomorrow? My mindset always is, no, someone else may not go home tomorrow. I'm coming home, okay? I don't know what I will have to do to make sure that happens, but I'm coming home.
1: Right. The part of this that uh, I'd like to talk about is the daily uh, preparation. Uh, A lot of cops that I know and including myself, sometimes it's hard to get yourself in the mindset that you need to be in because of personal problems in your lives. And as you go give me, about, a,
3: give
2: me an example.
1: You're having problems, you and the you and the old lady got into a big fight. Divorce. Big does that happen? It does. I'm not, you know, and
4: but what the Jarvis, thing is, why are you laughing so much? Because <laughs> he Oh he, I can just relate to that. Yeah. That's how uh, Yeah. How's that? Uh because at times you do have personal problems, but then you have to tell yourself it's time to leave that at home because when you take personal problems to work, your chances of making a mistake and not coming home increases. Brett, go ahead. So like I said, it's, it's hard to focus sometimes
1: on the job and get into that correct mindset because, yeah this is, you know, in your bigger cities, you're going to have serious calls that you're going on in patrol that
2: require all of your attention. Um, but... Can you have your wife calling you every 30 minutes that, to try and resolve the conflict with the kids at school? I have I
1: have seen officers that uh, their daily problems are so much, that's all they talk about. They don't talk about this or that. They you meet with him, you talk to him, and they're constantly talking about their personal problems. So obviously, he's not in the right mindset. Uh,
2: what, what, Jeff, what's the matter? When he says he's not in the right mindset, what is, what's Brett talking about? If you let, Is that your great warrior mindset that you're trying you to convince your, me that you've got to be a great samurai warrior to go out in the streets of America?
3: That would be helpful, but it's not going to happen. You have to take your personal life and basically put it in a small box and shove it in the back of your head because when you're out there— Anything can pop off at any second and you have to be completely open to that. I don't have time to sit here and think about my little girl's gotta to go to such and such or my son's playing a football game tonight or my wife's mad at me because I didn't get the garbage out or any multitude of things, which again is one of the things that leads so highly to divorce. Incident roller coaster. David, what does it mean?
0: Well, you're gonna be sitting eating a meal and the next thing you know, uh Maybe somebody walks into the restaurant and starts robbing the place, and you got to address it. Or you get a call of, of uh, robbery or shots fired. And and uh, you know, see so you're driving down the street minding your own business, and all of a sudden, boom, you're in a life-or-death situation. So you go from being kind of uh, just kind of, I don't want to say laid back. You're never necessarily that if you're <coughs> at work. But you go from uh, just kind of a routine uh, hum-ho-ho-hum day to— uh,
2: Give me an example. These are all generalities. Give me an example.
0: Uh, it's like an incident I've been involved yes. in. Yes. Well,
2: that's yeah. what you call an example.
0: <laughs> can you spell that? Can I? Can I buy a vowel? E X A M P L E. Uh. Well, I'm I'm just sitting here thinking uh, I was involved in the shooting and uh, I honestly couldn't tell you what I was doing before the call, but it didn't amount to much. Routine patrol, third shift, no big deal. The shift Third shift started, is at night. Is at night. The listeners right. don't know that. Okay. Third and, shift
2: is going to be at night. Were you patrolling a, a neighborhood? That, a
0: neighborhood. I just did recently uh, got married not too long before that. I actually didn't have an argument or anything wrong. Uh, How recently
2: had you been married?
0: Uh, I want to say a month maybe. A month. A couple months.
2: Okay, what uh, happened?
0: I ended up getting a divorce from that marriage. <laughs> but had nothing to do with this incident, though. Hmm. But at that particular night, everything was hunky dory. And you get a call of a home invasion. And, uh, you know, you show up and it's just another call. You don't think it's that big of a deal. I, you think it's a big deal, but, you, you know, you handle home invasions and that sort of thing on third shift with a lot of regularity, depending on the neighborhood you work, which I work pretty crappy neighborhoods a lot of times. And the next thing you know, you're chasing a suspect and he's shooting at you and you're shooting back, and it just happens that quick. You don't really have time to process it. You just react.
2: Did you take it home with you that night, Dave?
0: No. I. You know, the, the goofy thing about this, and I'm going to be honest, the overwhelming majority of time of years that I was on the job, a lot of these things that they say are so stressful, I personally didn't find the job overly that stressful. The worst part about it as far as stress was the hours and not getting sleep if you're on third shift. And then like daily preparation for battle, wearing that damn gun belt and that freaking vest eight hours a day, driving around and getting in and out of that car is about the worst damn thing you need to do back if you no matter what else you do, I don't care what other job you have, if you have a police job very long, you're gonna have back trouble.
2: What's the, how much of that crap away? Do you does anyone know how I much don't it weighs? The 20, plus. Huh? Yeah. twenty plus, huh? Twenty
0: plus, twenty pounds. So you're packing around
2: twenty pounds on your back all the time. No sure, matter you got
3: your weapon, and you got a radio, you got a uh, extra two, magazines. two batons, or one, you have extra magazines. Yep. Then you got your handcuffs. You know, it's just a lot of extra weight. The duty belt alone is made very thick because it's carrying quite a load.
0: Mm. You know, and the, all these things we just rattled off here, as far as equipment goes, there's no politically correct way to shoot somebody. There is really? Yeah there there is no. Uh, way to hit somebody with a wooden baton that's going to look really nice on YouTube. And to me, that's when the biggest, when I actually realized this job is causing me stress, has been mostly in, just in the last few years. Because? You are under such scrutiny to be somebody's next political cannon fodder or somebody's next platform. You can go out there and do your job, not do anything wrong. And we got example after example that ta- that you might did something wrong tactically. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong tactically. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Period. But it, your whole life gets turned upside down because politics. Wrong. It, it just don't just, look pretty. It
2: doesn't look pretty. There's no there's no pretty way to hit somebody with a two foot baton that's made out of metal.
0: But the, the same politicians and society in general accepts the fact that police officers need to carry all this stuff. And then once you use it, oh my gosh. I'll the sky him. is falling and you're the bad guy and you get the script flipped really freaking fast.
2: And, Brett, and Brett I, first, Brett, give me an example. Uh, you had an example. Um, <clears throat> I had a very sad example,
1: uh, driving home one night from off duty of getting off duty. I'm heading home and they were calling for an officer repeatedly. And as I got a little closer to my house, I realized something's wrong. And, uh, After I drove down to that area, uh, something was certainly wrong. An officer had been shot to death and killed by a drug dealer. So it just goes to show you that my mindset was heading home. What am I going to wash tonight? This and that. And all of a sudden, everything switches. And you find yourself that you're awake for two days and you can't sleep. And so there's, there's lots of things that can change in a split second and you don't know whether to cry or scream, and it builds up.
2: It affects your marriage.
1: It didn't mind, but I I can see how, yeah, that can. Very much depends on the officer. But, yeah, everything can
4: just change
1: in a second. Sure.
4: Yeah, it does. But the best advice I got was when I was in school learning to be a police officer, we were told Try not to ever take that uniform, to wear that uniform home. Take it off, leave it at the station. That way you leave the problems of the day with that uniform.
2: So you would advise any police officer to change at the station and come home in civilian clothes?
3: Yes, I would. Do you do that, Jeff? No, I did not. But I started 10 years before Jarvis, so... Back in our day, we didn't have a locker room and we didn't have a place to change. But when he said that, it made me think that that might be one of those things that, as silly as this sounds, when you shed that cloak of identity, it helps to make it where now you're. When other people look at you, they're not staring at a policeman, and they don't realize when they're looking at you just who you are. Uh, they're just looking at you. Yep, and you know, and when we talk about the attitude. Uh, And the difference between you live this all the time. When the NFL had their incidents where you had players hitting women, and at first it's, well, he's going to get a four-game suspension, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And then you see the video, regular people are shocked. They're like, oh, but look at that. And I'm like, that's what it looks like when you hit somebody. That to us is just, yeah, I heard when you said originally he hit her, and then you show me the video, I'm like, yeah, he hit her. I see it. What do
2: you expect, Jeff? You've got Hollywood turning out movies where people are pummeled with fists. I've been I, I boxed a little bit when I was young, and I was used to having my nose hit and bleeding all over, and it's not pretty. But that's what boxing is. Correct. But when you're when you're in a fist fight, I'm always astonished at how these people are hitting the face four or five times with closed fists. And they're just fine when they get back up.
3: And I don't and th- understand it. That doesn't
2: happen in real life. In real life. so tell me. The way it looks. So let's, let's go back. A front row to despair. Uh, who would like to take that and tell me of an incident that is an example to the listening public about what police officers witness as a front row to despair?
3: Well, I hate to hog the show, but... Jar- You're not. I won't let Brett you. just brought that up. The officer who was killed was on my shift, and I'm the one who found him. Now, right before that, I had been talking to the officer, and we had been cutting up, and I told him when he left the building, I'll see you down there. It wasn't even five minutes later he was dead. So you go from just another day at the office and doing the work to finding a friend of yours lying there in a pool of his own blood So that actually does affect you when you go home? Yeah, it kind of
2: irritates the hell out of you. How about you, Dave? What do you think? Give me an example of a front road to despair.
0: Well, I think probably every day uh, nobody calls 911 to tell you they're having a great day. (laughs) It's never happened yet. So you're not going to show up on any call. Uh, Most people are having what could possibly be the worst day of their life. And then you're supposed to uh, correct that. And sometimes you can Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can help a little bit. Sometimes you can't do a damn thing. So it just depends. But uh, like I said, I, nobody's ever called nine one one. Had the police dispatch to tell them how great their day is going.
2: Life in a fishbowl. What is it? What does it mean when somebody says one of the stressors for you poor guys is life in a fishbowl? How how can that be? I mean, you're you're revered by children. You're revered by our media. <clears throat> kind of sorta. Of.
4: <laughs> well, what they mean is that we're helped to. Basically, a higher standard than everybody else on the street. We're expected to act a certain way because of the job that we hold. If they say, do this, do that, we're supposed to do it in a certain manner. You can't have, uh, like, you might get off work and say, I'm tired, I'm going home. But if I'm in uniform, I can't say, I'm tired and I'm going home and walk past a kid beating another kid because people are going to look at me and say— Expect you to do to something. To do something, exactly. And if I don't do something, now I got the bosses yelling at me because people are calling in But you're off-duty. Why do you— that, I, that Jarvis, you're off-duty. That doesn't matter. They expect us to do something 24-7. You don't carry a weapon 24-7.
2: Yes. Some cities require you to carry weapons uh, 24-7. Exactly. And so not all cities, but some expect their police officers to actually be on duty then 24-7 or available.
4: Exactly.
3: Is that right? Some of us were on call 24 hours a day. I mean, you talk about incidents. I remember being out to eat and... We just sat down, got the food order in. The next thing you know, you get an SRT call out for a, the- a SWAT team call out. Thank you for an. What incident does SRT morning? stand for? Special Response Space Team, because that's Thank nicer you. than SWAT. Oh, okay. SWAT became politically incorrect because that's a harsh term. So SRT is a nicer term, and then we now use that. Right. So then you have to look at your wife and children and say, "Can you call your mother?" My brother, somebody, come pick you guys up when you're done eating. I'm leaving now. And you got your bag and all your gear out. What makes out SWAT
2: teams so special? I mean, what, what is it? What, what distinguishes a SWAT officer from a non-SWAT officer?
3: The only difference is you just train more. The basic tactics are the basic tactics. There's no special skills. There's nothing that makes the, you know, you wear a red cape and bullets bounce off you or any of this stuff. Actually, it helps if you're a little dumber than a regular guy because you'll do these things for not that much more money and you're on constant call. The smart ones, they stay in patrol and
4: just be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. And, Go ahead. And like he states, you. when I was on the SWAT team, three years in a row. Another not smart one. <laughs> three years in a row. Now, now,
2: boys, you have to get along.
4: We were taking the kids out trick-or-treating, Halloween night. That seems like a pretty innocent and nice thing to do. Yep. And for three years straight, my pager went off, and I got called in right in the middle. And the wife and the kids would look at me like, are you kidding? And I'm like, I got to go, folks.
2: So what were you called in for?
4: Uh, what, 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 what makes it so important to have to call you? Uh, barricaded subjects. Jarvis. Barricaded subjects. It just depends. You know there was one 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 Halloween we got called into a different city because they had a barricaded subject, and so you had to we had they it. didn't have a SWAT unit, so we had to go.
2: Dave, give me a stressor that you think is most important.
0: I think it's something I kind of already touched on it. It's somewhat new, you know, and it's kind of goes along with this whole being in the fishbowl thing. and when you're off duty. And then just uh, being the police when you're on duty is you don't have to do anything wrong anymore. And you can have your whole life turned upside down. When I signed up to do this job, I understood that I might get shot at. I might have to shoot someone. I'm going to have all these things I'm going to have to deal with. I understood that from day one. And like I said, if you got the right attitude and just a little goofy, I think that, that helps a lot. I can't really say that for years and years and years, I really, other than some, like I say, maybe physical, which had nothing to do with the job is just the hours and stuff that I was really under that much stress as far as, as going to work. But when you look at guys now, they go out and have to use deadly force. And the next thing you know, they're on CNN because they're a racist and because they're this and because they're that, they can't work. They're going to. Even if they keep their job, they really, you know, realistically can't go back to work if your face is plastered all over the news media. Uh, people are showing up at their houses and, and protesting. Has and that hearing. ever happened
2: to any of you here?
0: Not to me, no, but I just happened across the country to quite a few police yeah. officers. I've had houses, I've read houses have been burnt down and, and vandalized. Uh, and, police, officers no, police officers who were
2: performing their duties. And, correct, yeah. correct. And their families are endangered.
0: Right. And that, that's the whole thing with me. If I didn't have a family, it was just me, I suppose I, maybe I really wouldn't care as much. But when you have a family If you bought
2: a house and fixed it up, you probably would care.
0: I, I might I, well if I fixed it up, it really wouldn't matter because it already looked like it was vandalized, probably. But uh if if you almost have a,
2: everyone agrees with your <laughs> assessment of your carpentry I think it's skills. Pretty accurate.
0: <laughs> But if you have a family and you have children and a wife and you love your family, I'm not, I don't want to expose them to a bunch of Looney Tunes out there that's got some agenda and they're trying to use me as as the the catalyst for whatever reason. And that's been the, to me, the biggest thing is you go out and do your job, you do what you have to do, and some bums over here with, a cell phone, the videotapes it, you get to see about half of it and stick it on YouTube, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're the bad guy for the week. Brett,
2: to my knowledge, you worked vice quite a few years. And I was wondering, is it different when you work vice and you go home to a, a, a wife? Do you think you have more stress or less stress less stress than someone like Jeff, who's kind of an animal and, and toughens things out? Or, or, or Jarvis here, who's considered an ox? I mean, do you, you have to be more subtle and smart working vice, is that right? I think I'm doing better than you, <laughs> ox. <Yeah. laughs>
4: well,
1: <clears throat> when you work in something of that capacity, uh, basically 95% of it is uh, proactive work. So you have
2: to be have to have a little creativity. Because, what do you mean? You're using a term proactive. I know what proactive means, and yeah. I think the listeners know what it means. What do you mean by proactive?
1: The first day on the job, I was told that informants, people that snitch on other people, are the most important thing to have in this business, to have good snitches. So I was encouraged to go out and try to make an arrest and you try to turn that person into a snitch. And 80% of them, 90% of them say, absolutely not. But when you find that one uh, that can work for you, um, it makes a world of difference. But having, being in that situation and go, like you talked about, going home uh, here and there, uh, there are a lot of cops, depending on the people, that probably think about work at home all the time. And I... I'm one of those people and I try to shut it off. But sometimes it's hard to shut off when you have open cases or this or that. In fact, you'll find yourself on your day off driving around looking uh, at your suspect's house, just taking another look. So uh, it it can be stressful. But also is when you're in that life, uh, you spend most of your time with dope dealers, whores.
2: And snitches. That encompasses your job pretty much day in, day out. There's a wonderful old lady that told me once that, Mark, if you play in the mud with pigs, you're probably going to get splashed. So if you're playing in vice, do you get splashed more than these noble officers here? Yeah, you you can
1: and I'm not saying every officer, but you can be affected by it, and it can affect your mindset after a while. And I was starting to get like that uh, after five years, and I decided, hey, I need to go back and get into a uniform and do regular quote regular police work again. Uh, but there are some guys that are just built for that job that do I it for years. David and years. would
2: have ended up in vice because he just seems like a natural.
0: You know, first say as I, I was in uh, well, a, a street crimes unit for about three years, and I honestly didn't like it very well. Why? Why was that? I there was it was used for a lot of different things, from uh, special events patrols to a little bit of that. Uh, this a little bit of vice work. I, I just didn't like it. My favorite job on the police department was third shift patrol in the bad areas, and that's that. What do you consider bad? High. I, I almost say bad areas because there's great people live in those areas. Uh, in um, high activity areas which means there's a lot of crime which means there's usually a lot of crime that you could have
2: said that you know instead okay. of saying high I'm trying activity. to
0: be somewhat politically
2: correct I wish you'd stop yeah it makes a boor- boring program and it's dishonest but yeah you Jarvis, Jarvis, when David gets done ranting in here <laughs> J- Jarvis have you ever worked vice
4: yes I did.
2: and uh can you tell me what your opinion is of it and why oh I enjoyed it did you I had, take it home with you? Did that cause the three divorces, or was it your behavior?
3: He just ran you out on who had the most.
4: <laughs> well played. Yeah. Thank you. No, <laughs> no I'm not going to say that had anything really to do. It was just, uh, you know, as they say, the time, the buildup of the attitude and stuff. But... Uh, No, because most of the time, I'd have fun doing my job in Vice, and when I left, I'd— You were able to put it on the table and leave. Leave it on the table and go home. I think that's remarkable. It takes a lot of skill.
3: Jarvis was one of the guys that worked for me that was—you could see that. And what I found is the guys who had something to do that was not police-related, Dave fishing, doing other things outdoors and that— Jarvis with his cars and doing the other stuff. Then there were those of us that were simpletons. Hi, Brett. And we would sit Good. there. Say and hello, we, Brett. We, okay. we, hey. We, we lived the job all the time. And you go home and sit there. I remember one guy sat there and told me, he goes, I bet you sit on the end of your bed just going, uh, can't wait to go. You know? And I'm like, no, I usually sit at the kitchen table doing that. But people, you know, and as I got up in rank as a shift lieutenant, so I was in charge of, with Dave would be on third shift so I had all the guys out on the street my sergeants as the first line supervisors then I was the guy who had to sit in the building when they could get me to do that and listen to the phone call complaints from the regular citizen who would be like well the officer came but it was like he didn't care and you and you, know, you were just,
2: you were an empathetic individual at that time
3: I, I learned how to slowly become one or at least play the role I stayed at Holiday and so we would do you'd listen to him talk and then you'd say Well, you know, as an example, if you go and you talk to a rape victim and you let that upset you, you can't, you do your job and the rest of that, or you learn to treat it like a robot. It's just give me the facts. Let me know what happened. I write it up. I send it to the next person. They do their job. We can't let it eat us up because when you see small children hurt, and a case I had where the father comes home, sends the babysitter home. Smacks the kid around, then calls the police and says he comes home and there's nobody here and the kids are hurt and the mother's been gone for X amount of time and he doesn't know what happens. Luckily, the babysitter is looking out her window and she's like, well, what happened? I just left there half an hour ago. And you're like, "Okay, so you know what kind of piece of garbage you're dealing with. As much as you would like to punch that guy right in the face, you can't do that. You just walk in and cuff him. Have
2: you ever lost your temper?
3: Oh, yes. That's why other guys have to be there to sit there and tell you, we take care of ourselves. When policemen do something bad or if we have a dirty cop, how do they get caught? Other cops give them up.
0: Jeff had a good point, I think. And that's probably, as I said earlier, I really wasn't stressed for most of the time I was on the job, in my opinion, but I got a lot of other things that had absolutely nothing to do with police work that I do all the time. And I'd probably be thinking about, you know, going duck hunting after I get off work. And that's one reason I was tired all the time because I was doing stuff when I was getting off work and not sleeping a whole lot. You know, where we're going to go duck hunting, where we're going to go fishing, what we're going to do. You know, I I remember being, you you bring that up. uh, I come back from deer hunting one weekend, we got in a nice uh, big buck and, and, it was a home invasion or something. We had a crime scene set up and guys with shotguns and everything else. And I'm more concerned about showing the picture of the deer I killed over my time off than what was even going on. And I, that helps a lot. And if you don't have a life, if your whole identity is being a policeman and my whole den, my, that was only part of who I am. It was never been my whole identity. And if it is your whole identity, I think those are the guys that are probably struggling a lot more than what I did. Do you think the police work was your
2: whole life, Brett?
0: It was for quite a while for mine. Did you have
2: uh, difficulty adjusting to retirement?
1: Yes. Yes, okay. very much. And I, so. I, I came from a small town as a cop to a, a bigger town, uh, much bigger than the town I was in. And so I don't want listeners to think that uh, by listening to this that it's a it's a bummer or a drag to have to go to work every day. There are some cops that just can't wait to get on duty and go out there and get them a bad guy or save a life. But
0: getting bad guys was, that was awesome. You know? I'll tell a story about Brett when he brings that up right here. Uh, It's just a short one. But but cops, it's going to touch on what just said. David's giving you up right (laughs) now. Well,
2: Dave, go ahead.
0: And he is a good example. I recall, and this was a long time ago, he was working an overtime shift on third. And we stopped at Dunkin' Donuts and got coffee. And That'd I don't know about why. Five, five
2: or six in the morning?
0: Uh, I don't know when it was. I don't know why we. I, why I even remember this, but I remember him. He used to smoke like a chimney. And I remember him sitting there smoking with a cup of coffee in his hand and eating about seven or eight donuts. And he goes, you know, and it wasn't too long after he started on the department because we worked in the same small town before I came there. And I remember him mm-hmm. saying, goes, man, you know, all I want to do now, I, I just want to – Chase these assholes and arrest them and and sleep and eat. That's all I do. That's, that's all I think about. You know, he's just like go go go, gotta go, and that was Brett. And that's why he weighs four hundred and fourteen pounds. And when, a
1: day. and when you're in and when you're in
2: that, there, Dave, that's your story. <laughs> That's. I'm just that's agreeing with you're, Brett.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, I can tell you better stories about. Well, that, I wish you, you know, would sometimes yeah,
2: yeah. step your game up but a I, little I, I, bit.
0: I kind of interrupted him, so we'll let him talk. Brett, about go that. Ahead. But he's absolutely right. He doesn't have a life. He just. So, so you're
2: confessing not having life? Have you had any life after retirement?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I
1: I had a life when I was. Well, you've was lost about top, 200 but, pounds. Well, you. I'm I'm a good looking kid. Uh, <laughs> if your listeners can't see that. Uh, but neither can we, the one, there's no one
2: at the table that (laughs) can, but
1: the the thing about it, uh, is, is that when you're in that mode and you're young and you want to go out and you haven't had really any serious incidents where you've been shot at or this or that, some cops start to get kind of a, I'm invincible type of thing. And
3: is that true, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I am invincible. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: uh, uh, But, uh, yeah, it can be uh, certain people because everybody's different. Cops are all different. They're going to deal with things completely different than some other cops. Uh, like half of this stuff does not even register with me, but the other half does. Uh, but you have to, the one thing that worries me is uh, a lot of cops do get burnt out.
2: Do get what?
1: Burnout. Burnout.
2: Burnout. Let me ask you guys all a question. How many here have children? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you. I'm not going to say how many each of you have because it may vary, but I'm going to ask you a very direct question. We've read the five stressors and talked about the five stressors, which I enumerated before, the story, before this segment started of Cop Talk America. I'm not going to ask each of you going around the room, starting with Jarvis, um, Would you recommend any of your children, if you were to raise them again and they were in the house, would you recommend that they enter police work? And if you do recommend that they enter police work, why? And if you would recommend they not enter police work, I'd like you to confess to the listeners why you would not recommend it to protect and serve in America.
4: No, I wouldn't recommend it. Offhand. If it was something they really wanted to do, then I would back them 100%. But recommended, no, because right now, in this day and age, they don't know the public, the politicians, the people that make the rules are not sure what they want because they want us to do the job. But when they see us do our job, then they want to, oh, my God, I didn't know that's what you had to do. And so, no, I don't want a kid of mine living or going to work like that. Dave?
0: No. Why? Not in this day and age. If you asked me that question 10 years ago. I'd have said... Yeah, if he wants to, I do agree with Jarvis. So if if they were hell bent, this is what I want to do. I would support them in that, but I would also make darn well good and sure that they understood what they were getting into in this day and age, and with the politics, with the news media, and and all of this other. Could you stuff. be
2: more specific and elaborate on each one of
0: those? Like I said earlier, you can go out, you have the best of intentions, and you can do one of two things: you can do absolutely nothing wrong, but it doesn't look pretty, or it meets somebody's agenda and they can absolutely hang you to the cross upside down. Or you can go out and just simply make a mistake. Nothing malicious, nothing criminal, as, as we've talked about in other shows, but still find yourself being charged with a crime and even convicted and sent to prison. And all you did was make a mistake. And yeah. that
2: would affect your family a
0: little bit. Probably. Well, absolutely. And you know, you go working your whole life, and and you're making money, and you're saving money, and trying to do the right thing, and you do this, that, and the other thing. The next thing you know, you're in prison. That kind of sucks. That kind of screws up your whole day. And I've always accepted. You know,
2: cops personally that have gone to prison for their behaviors, real or imagined, by the public.
0: Jail, yes. Prison, no.
2: Okay. What's the difference?
0: Oh, this, scratch that. I, I I do know. I do know one. Never mind. But he he kind of stepped on his own. If you do something on your own that is stupid and you knew it was stupid when you're doing it, that's on you. But if you haven't done anything wrong and you just give me an example that the public
2: will understand. About what doing something wrong is or stupid. You've used the adjective twice. Now, what what does it mean?
0: If if you're uh, doing dope raids and keeping money, if you're selling dope, if you're stealing stuff, you know those are the things. In other words, I,
2: you're not supposed to put your hand in the box when you right. confiscate You're using money from your
0: badge d- to commit crimes. And when I started, and when everybody here started, that was the thing that you were told: don't go out and do this stuff. Well, yeah, no shit. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the police. It's like this isn't hard. So go out and catch bad guys and, and do what you feel is right from your heart.
2: Even if you donate it to the church, you shouldn't play Robin Hood with exactly. bad guys' money. Okay.
0: And, and somehow that's gotten twisted in the last few years. You can go out and do what you feel is right from your heart and do nothing wrong, and it still gets stuck right up your ass, and your whole life is, is turned around backwards.
2: Brett, would you recommend, if so, why, if not, why?
1: Same answer as Dave, uh,
2: but I would back mine up twenty years instead of ten. Uh, it, you, it's, you don't think it's been a, a conducive employment for young people going back twenty years ago?
1: Yeah, twenty years, I would would have said to my son, "Yes, I absolutely, I support you a hundred percent." But now, no. Um, but the um, uh, the other thing that you know. Uh, Dave pointed out about uh, trying to keep, I mean, the, the whole, basically the whole genre or feelings uh, of a cop, uh, I don't want my kids to have to go through um, and and do that. But I'm also, I, I want to say this, I'm, I guess, proud to say that in my 27 years, I never saw anything a cop do anything that i would turn him in for stealing this that i've never saw a cop do anything where i said boy i need really need to turn him in uh i've never saw a cop do anything like that that's that's and i'm proud to say that you should be proud to say that right. they, uh, yeah, I, yeah they I wanted to take me to jail a couple times but i talked them out of it
2: well i don't know how you <laughs> talked them out of it because most of the people at this table have been Suspicious of that for some time. Well,
0: yeah, it's uh, so. But you've covered up well. <laughs> Gratuity <laughs> at Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> doesn't mean to get yeah. a twelve pack of donuts to go.
2: They like me there. Excuse yeah. me. Is it I'm, true that you ordered four hamburgers, a milkshake, a Coke? Uh, well, it, uh, could you give me the biggest order that? Uh,
1: well, I was challenged. Challenged in what by brand? a supervisor that I could not eat. Uh, four Coney dogs, uh, a big sub sandwich, uh, and fries, onion rings, and a shake. Uh, which I proved him wrong, and he bought my dinner.
2: But you didn't accept a dinner for free then? No. Him. Oh, of no, course
0: not. No. What about the popcorn treat you used to always have when you get Death off the s- second shift? Secret family recipe? Yeah. A uh, pound of Velveeta cheese, two sticks of butter.
1: Well, that's the drunk. If you don't have Steak and chick available, that's what you make at home when you're me. Yeah.
3: Jeff, I can't take it. Please take it away. I stayed neutral with my children. Uh, they watched me and how it uh, evolved in my life. Both of my children went into law enforcement. My daughter in the military. Uh, She served several tours. She's got post-traumatic stress disorder and has her own struggles. My son is currently on the police department. And he's very frustrated with how things are. I, I guess the way I would equate it is my parents didn't want me to become a police officer and made it very clear to me. And. One of my first nights when I got shot at, and it was on the radio back then, you know, everything was on the AM radio. And my mom calls me at home and tells me I'm quitting. And then she calls the chief of police and lets him know that I'm quitting. So when I got up later on and the phone's ringing and it was the chief of police and he's letting me know to please tell my mother not to call him anymore. So I had to take care of that. And then, you know, my son is now experiencing a lot of frustrations with the job that it took until I had 20 plus years on the job to get to this frustration level. Because the political, the politics of this country has gotten so divisive. Everything is no one does anything if you you're evil. If you did whatever you did, if it if I agree with you, it's fine. If I don't agree with you, you're evil, you're bad, and you must be punished. And I'm like, that's not the way the world really is. And so when I sit here and I have conversations still with my son, and I still do part-time police work, um, when we have conversations about things, when I listen to him talk, it's the same stuff that I had in my career. It's just that it's Earlier in the career. It's magnified. It's just gotten so much worse because they're just – doesn't seem to be, and and he knows this, but it seems like the public doesn't care. I know that's not true. I know the public does because, as I said what earlier— What evidence do you have that you know it's not true? There's only a few thousand of us throughout the country, and there's no way in the world that we could do policing without the good people stepping forward saying, no, I'm behind these guys and we're going to do it. Politicians, I don't really care what they say. They are a lower form of life in most regards. If— We did things politicians do with moving money and finance accounts and doing this and doing that. Everyone at this table would be fired for that without a thought. Many times over. But if I'm a politician, everybody just excuses it as that's the way it is, that's this, that's that. I have very little regard for most politicians. I've met one or two that I've actually thought pretty good person. They're the exception to the rule. Most of them are just crap.
2: Knowing what you know now in life, would you have entered police work? Yes.
4: Brett, how about you? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Jarvis. I would too, but I don't know if police would accept us now. (laughs) That's That's a very good question.
2: (laughs) So the question is, if you had a chance to do it all over again now, knowing what you know now, would you become a police officer with your life? David? No. Jarvis? I'd be a fireman.
1: Brett? There's an old saying that inside of every cop, there's a fireman trying to get out. So that is a saying. But no, I would absolutely be a cop again.
2: Yes. Jeff? My dumb is deep. My dumb is deep. <laughs> so once again, this concludes a session of Cop Talk America. We are so happy that you joined us to know what goes on in the inside of these boys in blue and the thin blue line that we have protecting us and serving us in this great nation And I hope that you'll tune in again when you'll have a chance to hear coptalkamerica.com and you'll hear these podcasts which are telling you the story of the men in blue.